Thank you for joining us. This is the Fisheries Podcast, a weekly podcast that shares the stories of the amazing people and projects that make up fisheries science. If you haven't already, follow the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at fisheriespod. If you're the generous sort, you can be like John, Robin, Janet, Ben, Walker, and Garrett, who all support the podcast on Patreon. Through Patreon, you are able to support the show with either a recurring or one-time donation, which helps us pay for various parts of the show. If that isn't your thing, you can also purchase Fisheries Pod shirts, hoodies, stickers, and face masks on our Teespring store if you feel so inclined. Check it out. Today's guest is Emily Dean. Emily is a doctoral candidate at Michigan State University researching the influence of anthropogenic factors on the distribution and habitat of riverine fish species using both stream and landscape ecology methods. She aims to conduct applied research to provide information that improves our ability to conserve and manage freshwater fisheries. Currently, she is finishing up a project that describes the effects of stream fragmentation on migratory fishes across the conterminous US. This project builds on information from the North American Freshwater Migratory Fish Database. What pushed you to pursue a career in fisheries? I think it was a combination of things. So I grew up in Michigan and I, I was, I grew up in Grand Haven, Michigan, which is like on the coast of Lake Michigan. Mm. And we would spend a lot of our summers as a family going up to the East Traverse Bay. And we had a little cottage up there that we shared with like our uncle and aunt. Yeah. And um, just witnessing the ecological change over time of the Great Lakes shoreline was something mm-hmm. that was a big impact on me and also the fishes that I had to encounter while I was there. So like one example is just like becoming more aware of the differences in water clarity uh, changes in like beach grass vegetation. Um, another was like becoming more in tune with what zebra mussels are and how those yeah. are spreading everywhere. Right. And so like, there was like a couple in, there's like a lot of inland lakes in Michigan. And so I, I tell this story cause it's like, it has such an impact on me. I don't know why, but cause, cause it was like physical, Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I, was swimming in this like inland lake and like the year before there were not any mussels at the bottom but then this Mm. year there were there were tons and I picked up a log and I dropped it and like cut my leg so bad a huge (laughs) scar on my leg from these ear muscles and now I have this extreme vendetta against them Mm -hmm. I'm like I I didn't do anything to you you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah we're on the same page with that one too because I yeah (laughs) there's a bunch of um zebra mussels like the same issue going on in like the finger lakes and like upstate New York and <laughs> I also have a scar <laughs> from those because I kicked a rock oh <laughs> so yeah yeah the vendetta like is shared like <laughs> a trauma group zebra yes. muscle trauma group a lot oh, of people sure. probably join Dude, so many <laughs> so just you know growing up fishing with my family and being on boats with my family seeing the change and just really participating and recreating in the environment and when I went to school at Grand Valley State, when I started my um, undergrad, I went in there with a pre-med focus. Mm-hmm. We kind of <laughs> all go in there. With the yeah. And I took an ecology course and it really brought back 
all those memories of growing up and seeing the environment change. And I was making these connections in my head with the ecological concepts that I was learning. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. wow, I want to know more about this. I feel like I could do research in this and I'm also terrified of blood. So let's bail out. (laughs) Perfect. This is a great idea. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I whittled my way into it. Just started. Yeah taking ecology courses. And I started working with a professor at Grand Valley State um, and, you know, doing like random stuff for him, like measuring rocks and stuff like <laughs> yeah. that. So like, you know, just got into it. Yeah, just exactly. Got into it. No, that's awesome. And I, yeah, I can definitely relate to that experience too. Cause I was in like a very pre-med focused bio program <laughs> in undergrad and it was kind of the sole weird little ecology person. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah definitely been there and it's fun you know getting started and you're just taking any research that you can and I'm like yeah I'll study like lipids or something you know snails whatever (laughs) I don't care (laughs) that's what I can get yeah and then um I guess after your undergrad you did your master's research at Grand Valley State as well so would you mind telling me what that project was and like what you worked on when you started your grad studies yeah. Um, so this has a bit to do with migratory fish, but it was at Sweet. a smaller scale and we yeah. were working in, uh, <laughs> look at me forgetting what, what system it was. It was like, I think it was like, <laughs> like a trip of the Muskegon or something like that. Yeah. But so, white sucker would migrate into this river and then get stopped at a dam mm-hmm. and then they would spawn. And so all their larval white suckers would, you know, come out. And trout were feeding heavily on these white suckers versus other food sources. So we're like, okay, why is this? Is it, is it a reason because of the energy content of these white suckers, right? And so what I did is I kind of made a menu of the stream food that was mm-hmm. available to these trout. So like I would take these bugs and I would take larval white suckers and dry them up and then explode yeah. them <laughs> in a calorimeter. So I would just spend time blowing up these pellets to figure out, you know, how many calories per gram it was and then yeah. taking the number of individuals that would be expected out of like a spawning event kind of mm-hmm. multiplying that together and being like all right there's x millions of calories being distributed in this stream from this sucker migration and you know what are the connotations what's its importance then for that ecosystem structure and mm-hmm. its productivity right? Because white sucker are native to this area and clearly they are important in revitalizing the stream and bringing in energy subsidies. Oh, that's awesome. I love energetic stuff. I think it's so cool that, you know, you can literally put stuff in a bomb and be like, right. <laughs> how much yeah. heat this cranked out. And now I know stuff about the energy in the system. I think, you know, it seems like such a wild thing to do. <laughs> But yeah. it tells us a lot. So that's really interesting. Yeah. It was so painstaking trying to. to oh, I'm sure. Frying out, you know, material. I also dried out. Um, we have salmon in the Great Lakes. And so they yeah. introduced. And I would, I dried out a lot of their muscle tissue because when they go upstream, they spawn, they die, right? That muscle mm-hmm. tissue is going to bring energy to the ecosystem as well. So I also mm. just did that because why not? Yeah. I have a bomb. <laughs> yeah, you're like, <laughs> I, I might as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm just going to blow not? this up, whatever. See what it is. And the interesting thing about that is, is we don't really, I mean, there's some research that has gone on in Michigan that have looked at 
suckers and some salmon and their relationship to the ecosystem in Michigan trips. But a lot of that info is more so considered in the Pacific Northwest where Mm -hmm. salmon are in huge, massive numbers, right? And they're coming in and they're these ecosystem engineers that just dump nutrients and energy from the ocean. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I think about that a lot. I think about the importance of migratory fish in the Great Lakes and how they're just stuck below these barriers and like what that means for the upstream communities and how does that shift those upstream communities, you know? Yeah, no, that is a great point because it's like, you know, there's this not just flow of like the, the water and biomass, but like an energy flow that when you put a dam right in the middle of it, it completely right. changes the system. And I think, I don't know, it seems to me at least that um, like salmon research is booming and has been for a long time in the Pacific Northwest. And like, there's mm. so many studies and so much focus on it. And then, you know, you get systems over kind of Midwest or like Northeast and they're haven't really caught up to it I guess <laughs> you know it's like we have the landlocked salmon or you know salmon and these dance yeah. rivers and stuff and I'm yeah I'm also curious about I guess what that's doing <laughs> to them I have no right. clue it's we like this like figure that out like, <laughs> I think about it as like starved ecosystems right like with these yeah. barriers get put up and what I don't know that's that's a that's a research idea I've had <laughs> No, that's awesome. It is really interesting. And I think it seems that there's an increasing awareness of kind of the problems in freshwater systems, or at least I'd like to think that there is. Yeah. (laughs) There's more discussion of it. Um, But yeah, this is something that makes a nice segue actually into your current work, but for fish with those complex movement patterns, the threats facing freshwater fishes are compounded so much because it jacks up their <laughs> spatial life cycle. Yeah. Um, exactly, exactly. So yeah, we can just transition right into talking about like your doctoral research and also your recent paper where you cataloged life histories for how many was it? I think it was like 1,250 migratory species or something like that. Um, yeah, 1,250 so, yeah, freshwater fishes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 1,250 freshwater fishes. We we went through and, and looked at what their life histories were. That's so cool. And I guess what like prompted you to take on this project? So that's, I'm sure it was like a, quite the undertaking to sort of wrangle all of that information. It was. Um, so I guess it starts with the fact that my lab focuses on using big data sets to answer landscape soil questions and stream fish conservation. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the work that we've done is using that data set that describes fish assemblages and stream networks across the U.S. Mm. Um, And we also know the natural and anthropogenic conditions of those streams those fish inhabit, Mm -hmm. including dam fragmentation. And so a lot of the work we've done is looked at, all right, how are these landscape scale influences affect the condition of whole stream fish assemblages, right? Mm-hmm. And, and this is a bit of the brainchild of Lee Wong, who um, was my advisor's postdoc advisor. I said yeah. that correct. <laughs> and well, why don't we look at that, the migratory piece of those assemblages, especially with this pressing issue of dams coming up, that they're clearly threats to migratory species. We're seeing it with our 
fish that go between saltwater and freshwater, right? Like salmon, mm-hmm. like that's a big problem. But what about migratory fish? And yeah. so yeah. if I want to assess conditions or migratory species, I have to know what species are migratory within that huge data set, right? Mm-hmm. No, that's so, so true. That's it's where like it back to basics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have to yeah, know. Yeah, I got to know which comes from which, right? Mm-hmm. So much of it with like conservation issues and things like this, it's you have to get an understanding of the system and what is actually going on to make any sort of improvement. So like it gives you a foundation to stand on, which is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. So like what, okay. So like, what are the migratory fish? <laughs> yeah. That was the question. Like, yeah. So I guess, could you like describe what the process was of putting together the paper and then also like this larger database kind of what did a day look like working on that <laughs> project. Oh, oh man. I, I like how I groan. I, I know. Not, it was really, um, first and foremost, I'll say it's really cool to be able to <laughs> read about so many fish and just kind of like get little bits and pieces and have an understanding of, oh yeah, I heard of that species. Oh yeah, I think I've heard about yeah. that species, right? But it was, it was a daunting task. So like, the first thing we had to do was develop a comprehensive list of fishes in North America. And <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, so to do that, we looked at published lists. Um, one of them was like Jelks' uh, conservation assessment of freshwater and diagenous fishes. Mm-hmm. And we also looked to our fi- big fish data set. So what species were caught in assemblages, right? Mm-hmm. So then we compiled that list came up with 1,250 fish. And this included native species and a handful of invasive species, right? Like brown trout, we can't really, I mean, that's such a part of North America now at this point. Yeah, you can't ignore them for sure. Right, exactly. So we got to keep that in there, like stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So now I had to define different types of migration. And so I had to walk back to the literature and be like, okay, so like what what are migratory fish? How do we describe these things, right? There's yeah. like diadromy, which is migration between saltwater and freshwater. Mm-hmm. We know that for salmon and trout. We've seen that in sturgeon, freshwater eels, uh, shad and herring. Those are the big names. Yeah. There's also potamodromy, which is movement restricted entirely within freshwater. Mm. And so that would be like, uh, you mentioned it a bit earlier, landlocked salmon. Mm-hmm. Right. But there's a bunch of other species that do that too, as I found out. Um, yeah. And so taking those lists of definitions, I, I tried to match them with the ecology of what I was reading about with these 1200 or so fishes. <laughs> yeah. So every day I would be sitting at my desk reading books, journal articles, technical reports, theses, dissertations, whatever I could get my hands on that even <laughs> mentioned the name of the fish just to see if it had the info. And so by the end, I ended up with like 200 50 plus sources. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, a lot <laughs> so this of took reading. Me four years to do. It took yeah. me four years to do because, you know, I was a PhD student. I had classes. I had other research going on, but this took me about four years to put this all together because mm-hmm. I was just, just reading books. Yeah. So after finally getting a feel of making this database in a giant Excel spreadsheet, which sometimes I have nightmares about, <laughs> um, like for real, like I have nightmares. So I'll tell you this story. Like one time, I, I slept walked 
And I got out of my bed and I went up to my TV and, but in my, in my dream, I was like entering data into a spreadsheet for this project. And I was just pushing all the buttons on the TV. My partner at the time was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, what? What? <laughs> like, <sorry. laughs> it's like I'm entering data. <laughs> yeah, don't you know? Entering data. So that's the level at which. Oh, that's that so funny. Yeah, yeah, you were programmed at that point. You're like, oh, yeah. I'm I'm up. <laughs> yeah. So if you like need help with a database, like just give me a call. <laughs> Love so it. <laughs> the next thing I had to do was like, okay, so like I'm this young PhD student with this database. Who's gonna listen to me? <laughs> so. I went to an American Fishery Society meeting. That's my main, that's my main society that I go to. Yep. Um, and I walked around with a clipboard awesome. <laughs> asking <laughs> experts like big names and fish movement to help me with this task. So it was mad awkward for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, that's the thing is like, I am also quite a fan of AFS and it's, you know, how I've met a lot of people who I like, you know, work with or stay in touch with now and it's awesome. But it is kind of daunting when you roll up there, especially as someone in like their early career. And you're like, all of these people know so much and I know so exactly. little, but I'm going to talk to them. <laughs> it's going right. to totally work out. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. It's so like... there I was with my clipboard. That's good, though. You sound more prepared and... than me with your clipboard. <laughs> <laughs> like handing it out and saying, hey. If you're interested in looking at this data, reviewing it for, you know, and being a part of this project, that, that'd be great. You know, yeah. I, I want your opinion on if I actually did this correctly. And so mm-hmm. for the next two years, we did a lot of telecommunicating because we had experts from across the country of the U.S. We had experts from Canada as well. Yeah. Unfortunately, we couldn't uh, yeah. pick up folks from Mexico but we had people that did work in the Southwest that also worked with uh, Mexican fishes. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I would have preferred to have somebody that from the university there, but it was great because we just spent time reviewing every single fish and determining, do we all agree oh, that this cool. is the assignment <laughs> for the fish? Yes. <laughs> so, once that was done, the database was complete. Then I had to put together the manuscript. And so mm-hmm. what was I going to write about So with this database? So I wrote it as a data paper and mm-hmm. I spent the majority of it describing the regional patterns of migratory fishes as well as their conservation status. And so it got put into journal of biogeography because it's mm-hmm. large scale biogeographical look at migratory fish that hadn't really been done at that scale. Yeah. Um, and so that all in all, it took about six years to, to put together. Yeah, that's a massive undertaking. That's awesome, though. Thanks. Especially, <laughs> you know, it's cool that you were able to, I guess, engage so many people in it. Is there anything that you found that you thought was, you know, particularly interesting or maybe even like any individual fishes that had an interesting life history or something that, you know, you were slogging through all that reading and thought, oh, this is cool. <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah. So there are three major findings from analyzing all that data, doing mm-hmm. summaries and all those things. So first, the assessment showed that 25% of the 1,250 fish species we looked at are migratory. And so mm. this is a lot more fishes than previously thought. Yeah. Some families are entirely migratory, like I mentioned earlier, sturgeon, freshwater eel. 
is some families have over half of the species hmm. migratory, like suckers, lamprey, pike, gar, and oh, of course, wow. salmon and trout. Yeah. yeah, people don't expect gar, people don't expect pike, but they have migratory abilities. That's cool. And of those migratory fishes, the majority of them, so about 66%, 210 species are patamadromas. So those fishes that mm. migrate entirely within stream networks. And these are the fishes I find particularly interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's because there's so many of them, yet a majority of our information is focused on diadromous fishes in particular <laughs> species. Yeah. Like salmon, those socioeconomically charismatic mm-hmm. big boys. Yes, right? exactly. <laughs> the ones there's, always other, there's always other fish that migrate. So mm-hmm. that makes me think if we don't know a lot about this major portion of the diversity of migratory fish, how are we conserving? Are we conserving them effectively? And are they even, <laughs> yeah. are they even more threatened than what we think they are? Mm-hmm. Right? I think people maybe don't even realize because, you know, freshwater systems are right in your backyard and there's so much going on that people have no idea about, <laughs> you know, crazy highways, right? Yeah, exactly. And there is this discussion now, at least, which is good about kind of the threats facing freshwater systems and how biodiversity loss in those systems is <laughs> occurring at a frightening rate. Right. But I feel like it's almost invisible to people sometimes the complexity of what's going on in there. So that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. And, and building on that complexity, like the second finding was a single species. And this was actually very frustrating in the process. <laughs> yeah, A single species can have considerable diversity in its micro life, life history mm. across populations and even at an individual level. So there yeah. can be like a non-migratory population, but like some of those fish migrate. So I'm sitting there having to figure out how to define these fish. And so I had to come up with this like migratory and non-migratory category. Mm, Yeah. It's almost like, um, like a goers and stayers sort of thing or something like that. Yeah. And that that brings the question is like, okay, so if this is the case, do we need to manage at both a population and individual level? Mm, Yeah. (laughs) Like, How do we handle that? That is true. On top of that, totally migratory species can exhibit different patterns Mm -hmm. in different places. So like a diadromous fish, like a sleeper, I I think you have, I have things around like the Atlantic coast, something like that. They're everywhere, but whatever. They can be amphidromous or anadromous, kind of depends on what the conditions are. (laughs) So like salmon and trout can be diadromous if they have access to saltwater. But mm-hmm. they can be patamadromas if they don't have access. And so yeah. we're also looking at all those nuances. So it's that was a pretty interesting finding for me, but also a very frustrating finding when you're trying to have a <laughs> database. Yeah, <laughs> it's like you want to make put things in clean boxes <laughs> when they refuse to fit in the clean boxes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And the last finding. 44% of those species lack information on their migratory status. And a lot of that is restricted to small body fish like darters and minnows. Oh, uh, yeah. But those are some of the most species of the families of freshwater mm-hmm. fishes, right? Like there's like more than 200 minnows, like more than 200 darters that I can think of. Yeah, that yeah. we don't know anything about their migratory life history. But of those that we do know, 
they actually do have a migratory pattern. So it's like, uh, I have an inkling that perhaps they do. Mm-hmm. So many of those fishes are also threatened and vulnerable or endangered and critically endangered according to the IUCN. So clearly we need to understand more about these fishes' life histories, given that they make up such a considerable portion of diversity of freshwater fish in general, right? Mm-hmm. No, that's true. It's like, that's another thing where I think with the kind of little guys, the like small fishes that people don't pay as much attention to, or, you know, yeah. they're not like the salmon where everyone wants to fish for them and things like that. It's like, they almost just co- get completely swept under the rug when, you know, there's so many species out there and they're so interesting and they're definitely doing complex things, but we know nothing. <laughs> so yeah. it's, you know, to hear that like quantified kind of drives it home that it's like there are some major gaps in what we know. Yeah. And also I think it's kind of, you know, what we define as migratory, you know, Mm -hmm. I talk about a little bit in the paper, but looking back through the literature, it's, you know, it's fish that move a certain distance. It's, Mm -hmm. uh, it's fish that have all the population moving. There's, there's a bunch of different definitions and more so I think in a conservation and management context, people are thinking about these fishes and that, well, it's migratory. If, a dam or some other barrier <laughs> obstructs where yeah, it needs if we've to go put to something in the way. <laughs> right. So, and that could be any fish, if you think about it, like that mm-hmm. could be a fish that needs to get past this barrier that it's locked away from its habitat. That may mean it's migratory because it needs to get there. Right. And so it's just thinking about it in a different way. Yeah. You know? No, that's so interesting. And I think that is something that anyone who's kind of in, any science realizes that a bunch of your time is spent trying to figure out in the most exact way possible, like what the actual definition of a word is. (laughs) You're like, what does this term actually mean? So it's cool to think about like what a migratory species actually is and where that actually matters for management, because, you know, it's really easy to point to some of these examples and be like, oh yeah, that's clearly a migratory fish, but some that it, you know, I think it surprises people with all of this that you found, um, what kind of impact do you expect this work to have? I wanted this database to just be a really useful resource to anybody, primarily fishery scientists, managers, but anybody that is just interested in understanding the degree to which fishes move. Mm -hmm. And I also expect that I you know, when people look at this database, they look at the literature that is going to lead to new research direction. So ex- for example, something I've kind of been drilling is understanding more about the Temodromus fishes. Mm-hmm. So those are my expectations from this database and just people using it as, as a resource. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And I, yeah, I guess we referenced that earlier um, in our discussion, just you know, you don't know what you don't know until you right. know what you don't know. <laughs> and so for a whole field of study, it's like you got to get a baseline before you can start. So it's awesome. But it's very timely work because freshwater fish need help. <laughs> so Right. And and barriers are so this is like a this might be an aside. It might not be. But like yeah. a lot of our barriers and systems were built like 50, 60 years ago, and they're Mm -hmm. all reaching the end of their lifetimes. Mm -hmm. So now we have these decisions of, do we repair this or do we take it out? 
but that's even harder to answer because barriers and river systems, you know, they impact migratory fish production by keeping them from getting where they need to go. But barriers are also these really important tools for stopping the spread of aquatic invasive species. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. It's like, Uh, which do you want? (laughs) What do you do? Right. So it's, it's understanding these patterns are just so important to be able to answer these really wicked fisheries problems that are coming up for us. Like what do we do with these aging crumbling barriers? We repair them and potentially lose out on certain migratory species, or do we take them out and potentially have aquatic invasive species go everywhere that we don't want. Right. (laughs) No, that's a great point. It's like, but you need that information to even make those decisions because there's so many things to weigh. And yeah, I guess that is a great point as well, because I think a lot of people think about like the building of dams and things and how that disrupts the system, but then kind of the reverse process you're thinking about, okay, so we have this, you know, obstacle that's been there for decades at this point. And what happens when we take that out? (laughs) Yeah. Because that's a huge, huge disruption of the way it's been for you know, years on years and generation times for a lot of species. So, oh yeah, the whole habitat will change too, right? Yeah. And how is that going to look? Like, what is that going to look like? <laughs> That's a rough <laughs> management question right there. <laughs> it is a wicked. I wonder wicked how you would wrestle with that problem. We're wrestling hard. On yeah. That. <laughs> oh yeah. Reassuring to me, at least that people are you know, figuring this stuff out, making progress on it, but man, <laughs> yeah. it's hard. Yeah. It's, it's that, that is also a part of my doctoral research is like, you can't walk in being like all barriers are bad because barriers are important management tools in some places. So like in the great lakes region, sea lamprey invaded, right. Mm-hmm. And barriers are the major way of, of controlling their production. Yeah. Um, because if we know that if it goes unchecked, we the fisheries here crash. But <laughs> yeah. the major fisheries that we enjoy, a lot of them are supported by migratory species. So we're at this huge challenge of these crumbling barriers that keep out sea lamprey, but potentially have, you know, migratory fish at a disadvantage. It's hard. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard to make those decisions. And I guess, too, um, I meant to ask if there was anything else that you'd want to share about your research, since I know, um, I feel like we got pretty good depth on this paper and everything, but if there were any other projects or topics that you've been involved with that you'd like to talk about, we can definitely address those. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I I thought I would talk a little bit about this manuscript that I'm just finishing up and hopefully going to get, you know, put out there and, and just little bit this summer, but Mm -hmm. it takes the database and it characterizes the migratory fishes and assemblages that that big large scale fish data set I was talking about earlier streams across the US. And so we're using different metrics that characterize stream network fragmentation from barriers, natural landscape factors, Mm -hmm. other anthropogenic disturbances like human land uses. And we're trying to understand what is driving variation in these migratory fish assemblages. Is it really barriers, for example, mm-hmm. as well as understanding the specific ones in driving those distributions? Yeah. And so hopefully this research will guide 
large scale management efforts to conserve migratory species and stream networks. Starting the application of having all these data and what you yeah. can do with it. That's so I did, exciting. I did the thing and now I can do the other thing. Yeah, now you have stuff to work with. <laughs> Incredible. Exactly. Exactly. The progress exactly. of science. Oh, that's so cool. And when is that coming out too? I guess we can just we're repeat gonna, that so people know to look out for it. <laughs> sure. Um, we're trying to get that submitted this summer and, and hopefully, you know, however long that publishing process takes. Yes, but you it's, know. It's been ready to be out <laughs> It there will soon. be what it is. That's awesome. Yes. Well, yes. congrats on that. Within the um, next year, I hope. I hope the publishing process goes quickly for you. Same. <laughs> <As> <laughs> we, all yeah. we all hope. <laughs> get in and get out. <laughs> like, that's awesome. Well, you know, people can look out for it. Um, we'll make sure to tweet it or something <laughs> when it's available. So people oh, yeah, for sure. Get that out there. I can come back and join you on the podcast. Oh, yeah. No, that would actually be great. <laughs> I'm like, I should start doing follow-up episodes with people. We have a sequel. Like, we have a sequel. <laughs> want it to come back. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Fisheries pod veteran at that point. Yeah. Fish pod vet. Oh, totally. <laughs> yeah. I'm down for it. So keep that in mind. I'm up for it. Oh, I will. <laughs> I'll awkwardly contact you on Instagram again. Oh, please do. Yeah. <laughs> There's no better way. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, um, I don't want to cut us off on that section if there's more you'd like to talk about. Um, but if not, oh, I think can... I, I think I talked to Ira. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess we can move on to the final five questions, which sure. as a listener of the show, I'm sure you are familiar with already. But mm-hmm. first one, what is your favorite fish? That was honestly the hardest question of this whole thing. I know. Uh, for me. These final five questions are always so difficult. And every, every time I ask them to people, they get like the same pained look on their face where they're like, what do I, I say this? I cannot choose. I've, I've always really loved the sockeye salmon. Mm. Um, not just for its impressive migratory ability, but for its brilliant colors yeah. and the cultural and recreational importance it brings to so many communities mm-hmm. and I really want to catch one someday I'm a pretty avid fly fisher and I think oh, that nice. would be pretty rad so what is your favorite memory from your career so far also a toughie this is going to sound super cheesy but <laughs> being in that meeting with my advisor Dana mm-hmm. And just realizing that this work is complete and that it's out there. Yeah. The best feeling ever. It was just to see it all come together. And I couldn't have done it without her guidance throughout the whole process. So I know it sounds cheesy, but I I really got a shout out to my advisor, Dana. No, that's awesome. And I mean, yeah, yeah, because... That project, especially, and I mean, like any PhD, but especially one where you're just digging through that much information, yeah. like that's a process. So, yeah. So, just having her guidance, like, and yeah. couldn't have done it without her. Dude, good advisors are important, man. <laughs> yeah, they are. Very important. <laughs> awesome. Um, and I guess next up is another tough question. I think these are all hard, but <laughs> what is your dream job and or location it would be a dream to have my own lab mm-hmm. conduct applied research to aid conservation of stream fish yeah 
particularly migratory species mm-hmm. and location. Like, I don't know. I work at really large scales, like regions and continents. So yeah, I'll answer this and where I would like to be constrained to. So Oregon or Alaska, hands down. I fly okay, nice. so much. <laughs> they have salmon and trout. Tug is a drug. Like that's what I, that's where I would go. You know, I would do my research in my lab, walk out the door, hit the stream. It would be ideal. Yeah. <laughs> That's a prime setup right there. I guess that is like also the perk of working with large data sets and things like that is you can kind of do the work from anywhere, <laughs> you know? Exactly. As long as you have exactly. Wi-Fi, exactly. then you're set. <laughs> but if money was no object, what is one project you would like to work on? So I would hire a massive team around the world to tag every fish species and record their movements in every river basin and that way we would really know the degree to which fish move that's what i would do that would be so cool this global database of fish records yeah records right it would be a game changer i get so excited about tagging data and i think it opens so many doors to interesting research questions and just having Mm -hmm. access to that would be so sweet Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I support that answer. And that actually (laughs) brings us to the last question. So we've like struggled through the Zoom issues and all that, and we made it. (laughs) Struggled beautifully. Yep. (laughs) So if there was one point or principle that you could have basically like programmed into everyone's head automatically, what would that be? So, um, what I'll say was programmed into my head by a mentor of mine, uh, Gary Whalen of the Michigan Department of Natural Resources. And he, he said to me, fish move. <laughs> they Straight move. Up. Yes. They don't just sit there. And so we have to think <laughs> about that in a conservation and management context, right? That's it's simple. Very two words. Fish move. <laughs> fish move. It's awesome. And it's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's always stuck with me. You know, he's, he's, he's done so much work with fish movement himself. So, mm-hmm. you know, big shout out to him as well, because I learned a lot from him in terms of understanding fish movement. So, yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, very wise words. So yes, very simple, very wise. Yep. <laughs> I wish more people thought about fish movement more often i'd have a lot more to talk about <laughs> like everyone <laughs> so maybe one day it. this episode will help <laughs> we did it we did yeah. it <laughs> we got there uh well thank you so much for coming on the show i really enjoyed learning about what you've been working on it's super cool and thank you for having me and you know i it's it's a pleasure yeah really. of course and we will go fly fishing and then uh, do a <laughs> return episode once you've published that paper. <laughs> that sounds great. That sounds, uh, let's plan on it then. Yep. <laughs> awesome. If you want to find out more information or get a hold of Emily, you can find her on Twitter at Fishendine. That's P H I S H N. D-E-A-N, or on Instagram at SockeyeSocket. If you would like to get a hold of me, you can find me and the rest of the hosts on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram 
at fisheriespod or by old-fashioned email, feedback at thefisheriespodcast.com. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. You can download past, present, and future episodes on your favorite listening app or stream it from Spotify or thefisheriespodcast.com. And don't forget, you can help support the podcast with a monthly contribution through Patreon or by rocking some awesome Fisheries Podcast logo shirts, hoodies, and stickers available on Teespring. I'm Hannah. Thank you for listening to the 181st episode of the Fisheries Podcast. And remember, fish move. <laughs>